You are all weirdos. Nude science is the revolution. Nude science is the revolution. Welcome all you weirdos, powerful mutants disguised as bamps, and everyone who loves joyriding in the bluebird. It is time for your 78th episode of the Weird Dose of X, the mutant member of your Weird Science family of podcasts. I am your Yuletide host, Jason, broadcasting from the Wrong Turn Studio perched high atop stately North Pole Tower, and here with me from Santa's workshop is my man, Ruben. Ruben, I made up most of that as I was speaking. How are you doing today? Good. Yeah. I'm always thankful that you're on the show. And oh, you, wow. I know you make fun of your uh, dad joke level humor, but I'm always impressed. I honestly am because I usually know <laughs> like it's sort of comic based and it's you know tied to the issues that we read. And so hopefully other people get as much enjoyment oh, oh, out of this I hope as so I do. too. I, I, uh, it's one like when I start a running gag, I don't know how to pull out of it. I I just I'm stuck with it. So I hope it's amusing at least a couple people every week. Uh, and but so we're recording today a little earlier than usual because our normal recording day would be Christmas morning, which kind of gets in the way of schedules of people with like little kids. So I'm not a, quite as prepared as usual. Uh, we're gonna kind of wing it. And I thought since it's a special occasion, Ruben, maybe we just throw everything out. Maybe we don't even talk about these comics. Maybe instead we discuss the Fourteenth Amendment and that particular ruling out of Colorado. You think that's a? You think our audience would be interested in that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they really loved my <laughs> materialism <laughs> conversation. I think I killed the slack this week with my <laughs> uh, sharing you, the stuff. You got kind of deep there, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, 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 I guess that deep. It just was really weird that. You know, something I was reading that was like sort of high intellect fit exactly <laughs> what we were talking about from a comics perspective. Yeah, our Slack and high intellects, the, the, the Venn diagram there, I mean, it overlaps, but not a whole lot. But, you know, there are other podcasts out there talking about the 14th Amendment. And I listened to like three of them while I was scraping up bird poop today in my uh, volunteer gig. So maybe we stick with these comics. Speaking of bird poop, uh, not to jump ahead. But yeah, we do have four comics to talk about this week, and three of them are wrapping up the last three Fall of X minis. And we've gone through all the other issues, so we might as well get these done too. The issues we're talking about today, at some level or other of intellect, are Astonishing Iceman, number 5 of 5, Wolverine, number 40, Uncanny Avengers, number 5 of 5, and Uncanny Spider-Man, number 5 of 5. Yes, the Spider-Man one I used to do. I did issues number 1 through 4 with Jim over on the main Marvel show. But he couldn't be bothered with that this week, so he kicked it back over to us, which I think was probably a good call. This just tells me that at the end of the day, he got burnt out on Sysphere and decided to give it to me to try to say that it's good. <laughs> it does have a pretty significant number of tie-ins to the rest of the Fall of X story and the X-Men in general, so I think we'll be able to make some pretty good uh, sense of it. But we're going to start off with uh, Astonishing Iceman number 5 of 5, Out Cold Part 5. AKA Heat Miser versus Cold Miser. Written by Steve Orlando, art by Vincenzo Caruto, uh, colors by Java Tartaglia, letters by Travis Lanham, designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. Well, at least this issue doesn't have the same plot as the last three issues, which has been my complaint for a while now. It was the same thing over and over again. What we have here is an extended fight scene between Bobby and Mr. Clean, the aforementioned Cold Miser and Heat Miser, with just one brief cutaway to Orca's base, and then a quick epilogue. 
So we begin with a quick flashback to Mr. Clean breaking into Bobby's Fortress of Isitude, quote, one hour ago. He takes out Bobby's snow drone, named Clyde, I think, with zero difficulty. But then Orlando goes out of his way to say how tough of a fight Romeo puts up. Did you think that was kind of weird? <laughs> like he has to make sure that we all know that Romeo is not a pushover? Uh, I didn't find it weird. I actually, this issue, he mentioned it say, twice. Yeah, he did. I know. I'm not sure why he needed to convince everyone that Romeo is tough, but it didn't bother me so much. Actually, this, this fight, I'd say there's one very dumb part in the fight with uh, Bobby later, but besides that, I thought this was all an okay battle and the dialogue didn't bother me. And it felt like, Maybe the first issue and this issue is all you really needed to read. <laughs> and the rest yeah, was just true. padding. But it, it was is, okay. It was mm-hmm. okay. And I was going to say, maybe I, I've been really enjoying what Orlando's doing with um, Fox in the Unlimited X-Men on the uh, Unlimited app, mm-hmm. you know, the app-exclusive story. And maybe maybe it was because I've been enjoying that and that I read this, I liked this more, or maybe some of the, you know, stuff he's been doing with Steve is kind of picking up and influencing what he's doing on his own. Because I, I actually thought this was a fine issue. It had some good things to it. It actually had some interesting callbacks to previous issues that made some previous things a little better. Yeah. One critique, I mean, I still, I, I still just the whole thing, I'm like, okay, I don't really buy that you're a badass Mr. Clean. <laughs> and I only know this is going to go one way, you're going to lose, right? Like, I, I'm not convinced that you're an actual threat. But And the Romeo thing again, he Romeo puts up a real good fight against Mr. Clean, but then Mr. Clean holds his own against Omega Mutant Bobby Iceman, right? That seems like it shouldn't be both ways. If he's if he's toe-to-toe with Iceman, then Romeo should be, you know, a stain on the carpet. But that's not well, what maybe, the Maybe it's just the capabilities, because it seems like he had got all his augmentations to, like, prepare he for is, the fight. He is tuned Bobby. directly to go against uh, Cold Yeah, and not, he doesn't really have anything to deal with, like, emotion manipulation. Although yeah, that is the point, best possible argument, I'll give you. Yeah, that. at this point, you would think anyone in Orcus would have mind protection, whatever his emotion powers are. Right? Like this is all these mutant type people do. Is like every team has some sort of person that messes up a mind or yeah, feelings if, or something. Uh, the Black King, what's his name, can make his goons going to Krakoa have protection. Then the rest of Orcus should too. But we get back to that fight, and Mister Clean has been significantly upgraded since her last tangle he's he's basically a heat-based cyborg now right so the fight goes back and forth romeo pops back up and punches mr clean again uh bobby makes romeo escape through a hole in the ice that we'll later learn leads to a submarine this is the bluebird sub last seen in x-force number 38 the one where they go to genosha and fight the man with the peacock peacock tattoo right Mm -hmm. uh we're gonna that's gonna come up again later uh, how Bobby wound up with the sub is not explained, but it's here, and Romeo uses it to get away. So the fight continues, and with Romeo not around, now Bobby doesn't have to hold back. And maybe, again, that's the argument, is that, yeah, he was kind of toe-to-toe with Bobby, but only because Bobby had to make sure not to do anything so powerful that it would put Romeo in danger. And I actually kind of thought, yeah, I was a little annoyed at Romeo. I'm like, just get out of here, dude. He's telling you to get out of here. And then the part that I was alluding to that just really irritated me is mm-hmm. when Mr. Clean was like, what are you going to do? Drop the roof on me. And then he drops the roof on him and kills him. And I'm like, dude, you just, you were so cocky about it, right? You're like, oh, you, even if you do that, I'm, I'm not going to be defeated. And yet you gave him the exact thing 
needed to destroy Mr. <laughs> yeah, it was a little too cute. So yeah, he does collapse the whole fortress on top of the both of them, which neatly makes the fortress go away, so no other books have to ever mention it again. Uh, Bobby puts himself back together, because he's already shattered as ice, but he's you know, the ice guy, that's no problem. Cyborg Mr. Clean is really messed up, so messed up that his, quote, plasma core is ruptured, and he's about to seriously explode. I'm not quite sure why Bobby sticks around to have this conversation instead of trying to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Uh, it's not it like seems- he's a threat anymore. He's trapped. So it's not like Bobby has to stick around and make sure he doesn't escape and hurt Romeo or hurt anybody else. Yeah, it almost was like an ego thing. Like Mr. Clean was saying, go on and run. You're not going to get away. And Bobby's like, I'm a tough guy. I don't <laughs> but need that's, to run. You that's can't do dumb. That's like, me. I, I dare you to jump in front of that oncoming train. The answer is I no, that's stupid. I dare you to stupid. wait for my time bomb to explode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what he does. <laughs> so well, the explosion happens. Clean is presumably dead. But again, it's comics. Any other writer can make up a reason why he's not quite dead. And the remaining question is whether Bobby will be able to reconstitute himself. And I didn't know why this was such a question. Like, they said that, oh, this time Romeo can't help you. But why can't Romeo help him? It's not like Romeo had to be right next to him all the other previous times, no. like after the Hellfire Gala. So no, why is this was, so different from the Gala? Yeah, if he's alive, he's a beacon, right? And then he could just... You'd think, but they really make a point that this time Bobby has to reconstitute himself without any help. And I, I, I didn't get why. So <laughs> the suspense isn't kept up for very long. Just really one page. And then we get a two-page data page explaining everything. It's very tell-don't-show. Kind of the forgot. opposite of what you want. Oh you my forgot God. Pequod got uh, demoted to janitor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the first, I turned the page, I got to that first data page, and it is just wall-o-text. And, you know, I don't mind reading actual books, but when I turn the page of a comic and see, you know, four sizable paragraphs of tiny print, I don't want to read that when I'm reading a comic book. You know, give me give me a chart, give me a table, I'm fine with that, but... It's a lot of text for basically, Iceman's not dead, and he's making mysterious appearances, just Ice like Man's he was Iceman's not the dead, and it also kind of recapped the previous four issues. I don't need that. So, the upshot is that Bobby has started showing up again, and Pequod, demoted you know, becomes a janitor. Uh, and just brief, small Iceman manifestations so far, you know, an arm here, a leg there. But the implication is clear. He's on his way back. It's, it's again, to make a uh, holiday special reference, it's like Frosty the Snowman. He'll be back again someday. You know, he, he's all right. Don't worry about it, kids. He's not here right now, but he'll be just fine. So Bobby even breezes through and leaves a frosty note on the mirror of Romeo's apartment back in New York City. It says, see you soon. And it's signed with a heart, Bobby. And if you didn't know, <laughs> just in case you were unsure what they were trying to say in the very last panel, Iceman will return. Iceman will return. <laughs> but that's not think, the weirdest thing on this page. I think he's dead, man. I can't believe they killed off Iceman. Wild. <laughs> the weirdest detail on this page is that you see that Romeo has already moved on. It's only X days later. But oh, I there's, didn't that. There, these two uh, very hairy legs in uh, Romeo's bed while Romeo walks around in his own boxer shorts, uh, which is a weird, that doesn't, why, why would you put that in there? Why would you just, I mean, do bot, does everyone in the whole mutant world have one of those trendy open relationships like destiny and mystique, all of them? Well, maybe weird detail is, to put in. Yeah. There was earlier in the issue, remember Bobby was flirting with some guy that he had 
saved in it's the true. series. He's done and that a people, couple times. Yeah, yeah. then people were like, oh, and Romeo's going to get pissed at him for doing that, and then he won't be able to reconstitute. This there is several steps past flirting, though, right? A little little playful banter is one thing. Sure, but maybe they're trying to say, like, oh, it's not actually an issue. Bobby can play the <laughs> play the crowd. That's just the kind of relationship they have. Weird. But, yeah. So this series is over. Uh, I do wonder if we'll see Bobby playing a part in the whole fall of the House of X kind of stuff. Dude it's left over, open, he right? He his, could be back. He, he thought his lover was dead, and he's, like, already over it. Days later. It's not even weeks later. No. I mean, if X is 10, it's less than two weeks later. That's wild, man. Know. If I die, my wife better not have another relationship <laughs> X days later. Uh, I need at least a month, man. Seriously. Don't move on that fast. <laughs> well, make sure she listens to this podcast so she knows 30 days, that's the rule. Okay, so to wrap this up, I'd say that Vincenzo Caruto's art is the highlight of this book. It's all about the action, and he draws good, strong action. Fire, explosions. Crazy robot stuff coming out of Mr. Clean's head. It all looks really good. Some of the facial expressions, like even on the last page, are on the melodramatic side. But, you know, within customary comic book norms. Uh, the plot is fine. We knew this fight was coming. We knew where it would happen. We knew who would win. Uh, a couple of plot points came out of nowhere. Oh, there's that Lojack twist. I wanted to, uh, to mention that. It turns out that Lojack, one of the Y-Men, was working for Mr. Clean all along. Yeah, that was a good twist. That was a decent twist. And if you go was, back to that issue, you do see that, you know, they do shake hands with him. I would like to see like one more little word or panel where we could go back and say, oh, that's where he activated his power. He tagged him with a whatever. It's not quite all there, but it was, it was a decent twist. It helped me a lot because one of the things I was really annoyed about was how the heck Orcus was able to track the, you know, Deconstituted Iceman back to the right. you know his secret base. So I was like, that does not make any sense. How would previous you be able to data do pages that? made it seem like it was something else, but I'll find go with it. it was, that was an okay twist. I like uh, uh, Mr. Clean turning out to have all these. He was a cyborg with an explosive plasma heart and this stick with the power of the sun. It was just a whole lot with no that had had no hinting beforehand. It was just here suddenly we're going to make him super heat miser guy so he can fight Bobby. And that was just out of nowhere, and now he's dead, and now he's gone. It was just a, a big, <laughs> oh, it's here, and, and now it's gone. So this was, wasn't was the worst of the Fall of X minis. I don't expect I'll ever think about it again when we've been talking about it, but I'm going to give this book, yeah, I'll go all the way up to a 6.3 out of 10. Yeah, nice. I got to 6.8. It was almost a good story, this last issue. <laughs> Put that on the back of the trade. That looks a good story. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Moving. I'm getting quoted. Weird science. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's high praise. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this issue, if they were all like this, I probably would have had a favorable opinion of this little mini. I, I remember like the last three issues just being a slog because they were just repetitive. Yeah, I haven't checked my old scores, but this and the first issue were clearly the best. The ones in the yeah. middle. This could, this could have been is, a, maybe this could have been a three-issue series, yeah. having the Y-Men in the middle. My feeling for the like the five issues, it's probably like a five-eight story, like not something I'd recommend, but you know, better than some, <laughs> better than Realm of X. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the yeah. quote you put at the back of the trade. But <laughs> <laughs> if you liked Realm of X, um, wait till you read this. Okay, that's that's enough time to give to Iceman. Uh, if you want to read it when it comes all comes out on the app. It's fine. You'll go through it real quick. It's it's not going to play a big part. And I'm going to say this for most of the minis. Not all. Most of them. 
you don't need to read this to understand what's happening next. Okay, uh, speaking of next, we're going to go on to a book that's not a Fall of X-Men. We're going to talk about Wolverine number 40. It's an actual ongoing. Marvel still publishes a few of those. It's Last Mutant Standing, Part 4. Written by Ben Percy, art by Ibrahim Mustafa, colors by Frank Darmada, letters by Corey Pettit, and designed by good old Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. Uh, this is the fourth and final team-up in the Last Mutant Standing arc. This time, Logan teams up with Spider-Man, that's original recipe, Peter Parker version, and for a good stretch of this issue, it's really more of a Spider-Man story than a Wolverine one. So your enjoyment is going to depend on how much you like the way Ben Percy writes Spider-Man. I do not. So, not I want to I, was, I want to say, <laughs> I feel like abused every time I have oh, to no. read one of these Wolverine issues. I, I'm so sick of the way Ben Percy writes this character. There's and, some weird things that happen this issue. Yeah. Yeah, I was just screaming. Oh, I mean, part of the problem was I read your note about complaining about his space physics thing. So I'm like, okay, what's going to happen <laughs> yeah, here? We'll see how much I can resist the urge to talk about space physics in this uh, episode. It, it starts, it, I, the spider quip start off pretty strong, I thought. So Logan recruits Pete to be his tech guy. Uh, does Logan always know Spider-Man's secret identity? Is that a, a known, known thing? I wasn't I, sure. I can't answer that definitively, but they're both X-Men, so... If nothing else, okay. it's probably information in the. I know. Not, not con- X, sorry, not X Men, uh, Avengers, as I meant to say. Right. Both I know Avengers, it's, it's confusing because there was a time when uh, Pete's identity was public, but then that all got changed by a Doctor Strange. It was a whole thing, so I'm fine with it. I was just surprised to see it. But the, the first Spidey quip is Pete making fun of Logan for being an old guy who doesn't understand how technology works. I thought that was pretty good. That was, that was the best quip of the whole issue, right up front. Yeah, it was good, except that I don't think Ben Percy understands how technology works either. Because oh, clearly not. Peter is supposed to be like a young guy, right? And he's making DVD and CD references, and then he talks about <laughs> AOL. I'm like, I don't think – I'm just guessing. I'm, I'm millennial 50-50 you know, chance that they're going to know what CD or DVD is. And then maybe well, like a 0% chance they know about AOL. He is using it to make fun of – Logan being an old guy. So it is him reaching back into the misty pasts of, you know, physical media and uh, dial up internet. Yeah. But if I was making fun of my parents, I wouldn't be like, hey, what is this, an eight track player? Because that's like the mystery tech to me, right? Like, I have no knowledge about how an eight track player works. I'd say, hey, you don't, I might say CD or DVD, right? Because that was tech that I was around for. But mm-hmm. a- anyway, so that was the first thing that started irking me. Like, I read that and I was like, come on, Ben Percy. And then, then he had a line, if I say no, are you going to kill switch me with your Krakoan medicine? Yeah. Which, that's that's not funny. No. That's, that's not funny <laughs> at all, especially since we know that, you know, his, I guess, former girlfriend now was connected with a Krakoan medicine, so this is really close to home for him. She was like a spokes- spokesperson because her aunt was taking it. So I don't think Peter would say that. And I was also thinking, like, haven't you been talking to Nightcrawler? I mean, you've shown up in that Uncanny Spider-Man a whole bunch, right? This didn't come up. And one last thing about uh, Spider-Man here. he's walk- Peter's walking around with his Spidey costume, kind of casually peeking out of his messenger bag. Which, you know, be a little more protective of that secret identity, Spidey. You know, we, we know Logan knows who you are, but <clears throat> you're walking around the streets of New York City with a mask just sticking out. Oh, and by the way, when do we think this is taking place? Because right now in Amazing Spider-Man, Peter Parker is kind of busy with the whole gang war thing. And and the qu- answer is, don't think about that, because Marvel really doesn't want us to try to line up events between, especially between different offices, like X-Office stuff 
and Spider-Man Office stuff. It's just, don't worry about it. So Logan's plan is to take that Orcus jet he stole from Junwei back uh, the previous issue, fly it up to the Orcus Bloom space station, steal all the data he can, and then blow up the space station. Not the most detailed plan, but in fairness, we don't get to find out if there are more details because it fails immediately. I, I kind of thought that was a fun twist, that it, we don't go through with the plan and then it works out in the end or it doesn't work out. Right away, complete failure. I was okay with that. I, I wasn't okay with like the maybe like four panels of jokes about how bad Logan stinks. <laughs> yeah, that went on a long time, the, the Logan and Smelly thing. Again, Peter Parker being more juvenile than he needed to be. So when the ship arrives at the Bloom, they enter this transponder code they have. It's an older code, and it doesn't check out. Uh, Orcus knows what's up. They're expecting Logan. They meet him with two other jets and two Stark Sentinels. So he's completely over overmatched. And this was confusing to me because we're showing a small, like, partial image of one of the people inside one of the jets. And like 20 pages from now, I realize, hey, that was one of those Wolverine adamantium skeleton robots. Did you get that right away or did it take you as long as it took me? Or am I just being no, slow? I'm just like, it's a random Orcus dude flying a jet. That's fine. But... Yeah, I didn't register that as a Logan There's bot. even another panel a bit later on where Spidey looks inside the jet and says, oh, look, another Wolverine. And I still didn't get it because in that panel, we're not even sure. And I, again, if if you want me to know that it's a Logan skeleton robot, I need to see the claws, right? A quick snicked, and I would have been on board from the go. I just I just felt silly at the end. But oh, yeah, now I, now I see who it was. And clearly, it wasn't supposed to be a secret. Everyone was supposed to know right away. So the space battle that takes up the next 10 pages uh, is kind of confusing. They're trying to get away. Now, I'm going to be a little science nerdy here for a second. In, in short version, space just doesn't work like Ben Percy thinks space works. Yeah, there's a lot of gravity in. <laughs> yeah, space doesn't really have a temperature for one thing. Like, only physical stuff has a temperature, and space is like the absence of stuff. And also, Ben Percy keeps mentioning these jets using a turbo. Now, a turbo, by definition, works by compressing air from the atmosphere that's outside the vehicle. Like, if you have a turbocharger in your car, it's compressing air to you know force more air and make the combustion work differently. So, in, in space, obviously, there's, there's no air. In Orcus jets working in space, I'm fine with it's a comic book. But just going so specific with Use it's using the turbo just too specifically wrong for me to not complain here on my podcast. That's why I have a podcast. I got weirded out by going into a suicide spin dive. I'm like, no, you're just going down, right? Like you go into suicide spin dive. That's like G force. That sounds like that's like aeronautics. That's like uh, that's like what uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. went into because of visibility issues. That's all about the plane interacting with atmosphere. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, that's not what's going on. You're just you're flying your spaceship down. Ben Percy's <laughs> trying to use specific jargon to make it sound more realistic, but it does the opposite of that. Okay, enough of that pedantry. Uh, speed things up a little bit. The jet that also, our heroes are in. Oh, go more sorry, pedantry. I, I, go I, can't, I can't get over this. So I didn't know a lot about, you know, compressurized spaces until we had that terrible, like, private submarine incident this year. I don't right, remember right. what that was called, but... Anyways, it exploded like really fast, right? And I'm guessing that would be similar in space, but here we've got Spider-Man like, oh, there's a crack. It is a crack, but well, I, can, I can just web it and it's fine. It's not quite as bad because it's all about the difference in pressure from one side to the other. 
So if the atmosphere inside the spaceship is like one atmosphere and the outside is zero atmospheres, the difference is only one. But for the submarine, it's like one atmosphere inside and like a whole bunch of atmospheres outside. So the pressure difference is actually way bigger for a submarine. Okay, I feel better then. Thank you for... He got it. He got that one point, yes. <laughs> like I'll, I'll put my science teacher hat away for now. Are you rejecting uh, Peter's science credentials because he said it's negative? <laughs> 450 out Yeah, that was out that was bad stuff. Sorry, Pete. He gets an F. <laughs> he gets to see me after class. That's what he gets. <laughs> okay. So they're, they're flying away. The jet that our heroes are in gets damaged. Wolverine pilots his jet physically onto the top of one of the other jets. It makes this loud kunsch sound effect right there on panel, but nobody in the other jet seems to notice they're there, <laughs> and Spidey exits the broken jet, and between panels, so nobody needs to draw it, he somehow breaks into the other jet, webs up the pilot and the robot inside, and rescues Logan, who's now floating in the vacuum of space. Logan had crashed the original the jet. Effect. Oh. It's right there. Mm-hmm. And even, like, the booster trail goes down a bit, so it's like pushing the plane down, right? What do they think they hit? Like, they hit a pigeon? Oh, don't worry, we just hit a pigeon. <laughs> Space pigeon. It's all good. Yeah. Oh, so, God. now our heroes are fleeing the one remaining Stark Sentinel and their new Stark Sentinel. Uh, I guess the other Orcus jet got destroyed in the battle. I lost track of it. I couldn't tell you what happened to the other Orcus jet. They're drawn identically, so I couldn't keep them straight. Spidey flies their new jet into the atmosphere so fast that it's glowing from re-entry friction. And yet Spidey, now carrying Logan, is able to exit the glowing speeding jet free fall down to building height level where he just shoots one web and swings up and they're fine. Again, the physics, just too wacky. Like just temperature and, and the airspeed, they don't yeah, work. The temperature really bothered me. I was like, so you've got weather resistant spider suit now? I mean, I know you're a tech guy, but you're this whole thing sounded like, hey, come with me and oh crap, we're up in space, right? Like, it wasn't like I planned to be having a space mission. Sure. So I mean, really it is the, it is the new goblin-built suit, so it's maybe a little higher tech than usual. But, you know, show him, he used to have that little you know, thing on his back. So show him, like, with a, some kind of a parachute or uh, airfoil or something to mean that he's not just plummeting down from the edge of space and then just swinging back up. Because he's going to be going really fast at that point. So he can survive negative 450 degrees. <laughs> and also 450,000 degrees. So, so there's a final complication with the Stark Sentinel and the Logan bot. Spidey takes out the Sentinel by making it zap itself in the chest. Sure. Logan stabs and then falls on his robotic opposite. So the heroes win. Hooray. Uh, two more little bits to talk about. First, we've got some more letters between Wolverine and Jeff Bannister. These are fine. Uh, yeah, the, important nice. point, the important point here is that Jeff tells Logan that X-Force is still around, setting the stage for, I think it's probably going to be Logan showing up in the X-Force book rather than the other way around, given where we know this book is going. I want to ask you a question. How many issues from now are we going to have Logan talking about how he works best alone and you know, wants to be a loner, blah, blah, blah? Because here we have these letters saying, I've come to this deep realization that you know, I'm just a killing machine unless I have a you mean you don't think for. Tom Brevoort's reboot is going to feel bound by this letter? <laughs> this is important character growth, and we we can't ignore it. Logan always resets to the yeah, and it is a confirmation that the reboot is starting in July, which we probably kind of guessed. But I thought maybe there'd be a month or two off between the end of one and the start of the other, but nope, getting right into it in July. 
So the other bit I want to talk about on the very last page, where for just a couple panels, we get to see X-Force, or at least Domino and Black Tom of X-Force. They get word that Logan was seen in New York City, and, and there is a panel where we see New Yorkers taking cell phone photos of him. So, you know, it all connects and checks out. And Spidey has one word balloon where he says that, hey, I actually was able to get some Orcus data before the plan went kablooey. Don't know how, and don't know how he got that data off the jet that exploded, but whatever, it's fine. I, I think, again, that's going to be a plot point in the X-Force book, or maybe other places where, oh, now the X-Men have some Orcus data they can use for something. And the book ends with Sage saying, fire up the Bluebird. And in a wide shot, we see that the Bluebird vehicle is right there with them, which is really odd time. We haven't seen the Bluebird for a long time. But it shows up in two different places this week. Yeah. Because we just saw Romeo use it. So, so after it dropped off Romeo. What? Did Romeo fly it to join up with X-Force before he went to his apartment to meet that guy with the hairy legs? I think it's just an editorial whoopsie. Uh, somebody should have noticed that there's one very specific vehicle we haven't used in forever. You know, every, each, each writer did fine. Like, oh, I'll use this vehicle. Nobody's used it for a while. Great. It'll be a nice detail. But somebody should have said, hey, flip a coin. Only one of you gets to have it. So this was another action movie issue from Ben Percy. This one, not as effective as the earlier ones in the arc, at least for me. All those reasons mentioned above, the Spidey voice not being great, plot had more holes than usual, and the artist is Ibrahim Mustafa and not Juan Jose Rip, who I love. And I think having that great art in some of the previous issues made me more willing to just forgive some of the plot holes, like the way that giant ocean liner sank, if you'll recall. Uh, now, this artist, uh, Ibrahim Mustafa, he's done just a handful of Marvel books, including an Old Man Logan Wastelanders one-shot that Jim and I reviewed a couple years ago. It's not the most detailed style, and there's a few panels, especially in the space battle, where it's hard to tell exactly what's going on. So it wasn't, it's not the art isn't bad, but it wasn't saved by the art the way some other issues have. Uh, and looking forward, it doesn't seem like Juan Jose Rip is drawing anything for the Sabretooth War arc either, which is a bummer. So more than anything, this issue made me look forward to X-Force because I see some cool stuff happening there. I'm going to be pretty hard on this book and give it a 5.8 out of 10. It's, it's not not good. A, a down issue from Ben Percy. Yeah, I was going to go with the 6, but you made me more angry by pointing out That's my more job. ridiculous things. So yeah, 5.5. <laughs> I hate this. It's so five point five out of ten. I I will continue to read it because that's our job. But I'm very ready for somebody else to get on the Wolverine book and try to explain to me why. She well, you know that the next arc, which will be the last arc of this this run, it will have that other uh, writer jumping on too. It's uh, well, what's the the gentleman's name who wrote Sabretooth? Victor Laval, right? So it's going to be Percy and Laval writing this arc. So maybe it'll be uh, maybe they'll re- you know make each other's weak points stronger. Moving on to Uncanny Avengers number five of five, Unmasked, which is a dumb title since the villain was unmasked at the end of the previous issue. Written by Jerry Duggan, art by Javier Garon, colors by Maury Hollowell, letters by Travis Lanham, designed by once again Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. I wonder how many total credits these two guys have in the whole Rakoan era. They must have Several hundred. Anyway, this is another end to another Fall of X-Mini. I don't have a lot to say about this one, so I'll say it quickly, I hope. Uh, we start off with this one-page flashback to X weeks ago. That must have happened right after that scene in the first issue, 
where Orcus brought Hydrocap back out to make him their Captain Krakoa. Now we get the shocking revelation that Hydrocap wants to be called Grant. And, and, and Duncan makes like a big deal. Uh, call me Grant now. Like it's, it's, it's Steve's middle name, Stephen Grant, Captain America, right? Uh, I, I'm going to still call him Hydrocap, right? Everyone's going to call him Hydrocap. <laughs> No one's going to call him Grant. Grant's not going to happen. Well, that's a trivia trivia item. What's the name of Hydrocap? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. And, and how is he back? Well, a narration box on the next page kind of tries to clear that up, kind of fast and loose. It reads, Stephen Grant Rogers, the dark reflection of Captain America, created by the Red Skull and resurrected by Selene at the instruction of Dr. Stasis. Is this new information that resurrected by Selene? Now, we knew that Selene had been the one who killed Hydra Cap in 2019 in the Ta-Nehisi Coates Captain America run. And we know that Selene has been an Orcus affiliate since Stasis and Mother Righteous brought her back in that Before the Fall book. So it makes sense that Selene would be involved in resurrecting Hydra Cap. But it would have been nice to learn about it other than a throwaway line in a caption box. It's like, oh, it, it kind of seems like, oh, oh, crap, I forgot to do this bit. I'll just like mention it here. Like, oh, everybody knows this already. Kind of, Kind of sneak it in. I don't know enough about Celine to know like if this is a normal thing, but when I read this, I was like, so wait, Celine has the powers of the five, and we made this whole deal about how like nobody could resurrect anybody if the five was broken up. Just freaking get Celine to do it, right? Like, she is an external, and she did kill him, so maybe because she killed him, she can undo whatever killed him. Again, it would have been nice to see that explained on panel rather than just throw I needed it explained a lot more because it, it threw into question a lot of what was going on in you know the last two years of X-Men books. <laughs> yeah, the whole underlying point of the Rakoan era was, hey, why didn't they just do that? Yeah, Sins of Sinister, right? Like, oh, they- Oh, yeah. You know, he disrupted the, the five and then he was able to take over. Why didn't Selene just bring the person that was killed back, right? Done. So stuff like that just really irked me, but Good point. Uh, I'll go with it. So we cut back to the present day where our titular team is fighting said Hydra Cap. Uh, the real Cap defeats him by throwing Deadpool's torso at him. Deadpool bites Hydra Cap on the back of the head, digs at Hydra Cap's eyes with his fingers, causing enough of a distraction for the real Cap to grab his shield back, and then with the help of Psylocke and Penance, Hydra Cap is brought down. Now, I did predict that Deadpool was going to have his revenge on Hydra Cap, which was not that far out on a limb, so I'm not going to give myself too many points for it. But yeah, we knew Deadpool was going to have to play a part in this, because... You know, Hydra Cap really made Deadpool into a dupe back in the whole Secret Empire. So I thought I was, that was an okay finish. It was okay. I was a little weirded out by Steve Rogers using Deadpool's shield. It didn't seem very heroic, even knowing that he's got the regeneration abilities. Mm. I have a hard time believing Steve would put somebody you know in front of him to deflect a blast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not as heroic. But De Deadpool volunteering to do that would have been fine. Uh, but yeah, at, for the whole this whole issue, Deadpool is just a torso. He got cut in half by the shield last issue, so he's he's literally just you know belly button up is all he's got. And we still need to deal with that nuclear warhead, the one that was hanging out at Empire State University. There's no way to disarm it, so Rogue has to fly it out of the city. And Hydrocap's yeah. arm got broken too. As I'm looking at that, ah. that's revenge, and it's the opposite arm. Isn't that great? Oh, so I hadn't could, noticed that. Okay, they can have something. opposite matching. Bucky Barnes arms. <laughs> so Rogue has to fly this nuclear word out of the city, and there's this weird line. I'm, I'm going to talk about space again, Ruben. I can't help it. Cap suggests, hey, why don't you just fly it into space? But Rogue says, can't. The ISS is heading our way. 
Now, how big does Rose Rogue think that the International Space Station is <laughs> compared with space? <laughs> no, it makes no sense. She had, it, instead, she flies the word out into a desert. It says specifically near Area 51. Now, do you know what's, do you know what's at Area 51? Military People. installation, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know specifically. Like, maybe also alien bodies and things and UFOs, but definitely human beings. So if yes. you're going to go into the desert, why don't you go to the desert not near anything? <laughs> I, I don't know. So it's going to shortly explode to the killer, but Quicksilver runs Deadpool's torso to her just in time so that she can borrow his healing factor as the bomb explodes, allowing her to survive. Now, I don't understand how Quicksilver has time to run Deadpool there and himself run away, but not enough time to just pick up Rogue and run her ass out of range. <laughs> right? Saving her and Deadpool all that agony of being stripped down to the bone by radiation before the healing factor kicks in. I don't see how that math works out. Math and space science, that's all I'm about today. But I got to give it this, though. It is a really cool-looking scene as they get torn down to like Grateful Dead-looking skeletons and then grow back. It, it looks cool. And it looks so cool that I'm I'm willing to excuse the part that doesn't actually make so much sense. The other thing is, can't, can't Rogue just borrow Quicksilver's power? <laughs> Maybe she's not close enough, but if he if he ran there, yeah, you'd think there'd be other ways to solve this problem that didn't involve you know basically being basically dead and, and not quite dead and then back. The so, other bit that really weirded me out about all this mm -hmm. is again out of the blue. Doug and it's just added like, oh, and Deadpool's got a thing for Rogue. I'm like, where the hell did that come from? I don't know. Yeah. Like, is, is that, that a, a is historical that thing? Somewhere? Not yeah, that I know of. It really, it was, it, I didn't really think the, the Quicksilver penance thing was handled very well either, where suddenly mm -hmm. Quicksilver's like, got a thing at least, for her. At least that was treated like a new thing, where this is treated like, oh, he has a long-standing crush on her, and now he's, he's being nice to her be, you know, as part of that crush. Yeah, it was really weird. I was like, the hell is this? But weird. all that aside, yeah, the, the atomic explosion, you know, F those workers at Area 51, Area <laughs> <laughs> 52, whatever. They're dead wherever they are. Yeah. Um, but anyways, the explosion was cool. And yeah, having them regenerate yeah, that, slowly. That ex those explosion pages part. are the best art in the entire series, in my opinion. Looks really cool. So epilogue time. Hydrocap is arrested and tried but quickly gets off scot-free. Uh, the implication seems to be that the re remnants of his old secret empire are still kind of at work steering our government. Uh, that's kind of creepy. Don't want to think about that too much. Uh, Hydrocap makes a speech almost as boring as regular Cap did a couple <laughs> issues ago. In this speech, Hydrocap says he's not pro-America anymore. He's yeah. pro-human, as in pro-non-mutant human, anti-mutant. Yes. yes. He also tears an American flag in half and declares, yeah. I shall be a flag smasher, yeah. which is the clunkiest line I've read in a long time. Yeah. That's a that's a person, right? Like with a long anti-Captain America history. I thought flag smasher was a thing. Flags, is that? Wow. That's not, it's not nuke. Who is, is there a flag smasher? Flag smasher. So in the TV series they made in, uh, I think it was like Winter Soldier and Falcon, they, they had... Flag Smashers being an organization, but I think they were originally, it was just like ah, a villain. It's the name used by two anti-national supervillains appearing in American comic books. Uh, these are Carl Morgenthau and Guy Therolt. Original version, most often a foe of Captain America, etc., etc. Dates back to 1985, created by Mark 
run well, doing well. Yeah, so, me, I know my cap. Good for you. Yeah, I, it sounded familiar, but I would not have come up with what it was. So yeah, it makes Hydra Cap is less interesting now, right? You you love him or hate him in that that run, he was something different, and now he's just another Cameron Hodge or Boulevard Trask. You know, we oh, only no, have enough anti-mutants. <laughs> just let some. I think comics in general has a problem where once there's a cool character who's really cool for one arc, they can't just let him go. It's like a uh, the Court of Owls when Jim and Eric are talking about. It. They were so cool their first time out, but every time they're brought back, they're like fifty percent lamer than the last time. So just just let these characters die. I just wanted to be like, I shall be Doctor Doom. <laughs> <laughs> My new name is Thanos. Just something <laughs> like that. I am Condiment Man. Yes. So, yeah, the book ends with our team atop a building watching Hydrocap's boring speech. They all literally join hands in the final panel while Cap makes a boring but short speech about the power of friendship, which is, I mean, Duggan could not think of an ending and just pulled in the most corny, obvious, oh, we're all friends now ending. Uh, and also, Penance grabs Quicksilver's ass, which is a fitting final panel to the series. The art style still isn't to my taste. The nuclear explosion looked cool, I'll give it that. But the only real consequence of this series is that Hydra Cap is alive again, less interesting than it used to be, and even the data page that ends this book is an exact copy of the one in X-Men 29, talking about the upcoming trial of Cyclops, so Duggan couldn't even be bothered to write an original data page. Not a good book. Given that Duggan is also writing two very big books, X-Men and Iron Man, I don't know why he chose to take on this additional series, whether it's his idea, Marvel's idea, whoever's idea it was, it was a bad idea. It was just uninspired writing. You didn't need to read this. You don't need to read this series either to understand what's going on in Fall of X, just like I said back with uh, Iceman. Uncanny Avengers, for me, gets a plain old regular 5 out of 10, and it would have been even lower without that cool explosion. How about you, Ruben? (laughs) That's rough. I, I felt like, let's see, I gave Wolverine a 5.5, five, 5.8. I'll, I'll just give this a 6. It, a six there's a okay. lot of stuff in here that's obnoxious to me, but it's not good. Um, but it, it was okay, I guess. Okay, um, I guess. Put that on the back of the tree for the back. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as the series goes, I think I'm going to have to go 5.5. Five. Like, like you said, it was, what was the point? And there are some stuff, like what's going on in Iron Man? I feel like that's really good. And X-Men, they're, I'd say, 7 out of 10 of the issues I've thought are pretty solid, especially since, like, the last year started. I felt like he's he's got the ability to write good stories, and this one just really, like you were saying, yeah, felt like... the difference in quality between this book and the others is just, it doesn't even seem like the same writer. So, I don't know if he dashes one off on a quick weekend, just because he get it out of the way, but it doesn't have the same care and attention to detail, and just inspiration and feeling of fun that the other ones had. Yeah, I think he just didn't know what to do with it, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and if you don't know what to do with it, then maybe don't write it. Just yeah. don't. On the XII day of Xmas, my X Men gave to me twelve quiet counselors, eleven lives of Moira, ten swords in Otherworld, nine fall of X minis, eight continuity errors, seven fill in artists, six Orcus petals. Five of the five. Four clones of Essex, three Summers brothers, two Laura Kinneys, and Xavier alone on Krakoa. 
and Xavier alone on Krakoa. Merry Xmas.